Hello and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of The Killing Moon, book one in the Dreamblood duology by N.K. Jemisin. This was a fairly straightforward story with a lot of fresh ideas thrown in. I really like this. I'm going to say a lot of old ideas with a fresh twist. It's new you know, age like we have fun the with true... a vintage feel. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> we have like the true name concept, except this one is like your true dream name. Duh, duh, yeah. Duh. yeah. And the idea of, you know, taking the the dream essence and it kind of it, it's very vital to the whole workings and foundation and like all oh, like economy almost of this whole society certainly their religion i want to get this out of the way real quick real quick and you kind of mentioned this in an episode let's just take the joke and we'll we'll put it over here and we'll just <laughs> leave the joke over here and look at it every now and then but it kind of reminded me of monsters inc oh yeah 100 <laughs> <laughs> but not it wasn't like silly and funny in the way it was like a really dark like twisted version of monsters inc but just the idea of like dream harvesting and it's like important to like how this whole society functions and stuff and there's like yeah. corruption within like the i was like wait a minute this is kind of like monsters i've seen inc. this before <laughs> mike wazowski pops up was like oh that one went wrong i accidentally launched that child's uh, soul into the forever chaos nightmare land to drift for all time <laughs> it's uh it's cool you know so we're gonna take that we're gonna laugh about it and we're gonna put it over here and then have a real discussion about this book <laughs> because it was really good i mean there was no point where i was really that bored with it i mean i felt like uh, i was a little distant from the characters yeah i was sense. never standing during it you know no no i never really popped up in like a bunch of excitement i think that Something that I really enjoyed about this was just it was a different kind of like world and setting for me, a really unique idea. And as far as like, uh, you know, dreams and uh, whatever is going on with the moon, I hope that there's more light shed on that in the next book, because I think we got a little sprinkling of it. But I want to find out what like there's two moons, uh, mm -hmm. like the phases of the moon seem really important. So it seems like this it felt like almost like a, a big prologue to whatever book two is going to be. I feel the same. It's kind of like laying the groundwork out. But, you know, I will say it was refreshing to have something set in the like Egyptian Middle East setting that wasn't wildly complicated like David Bad. So like that was kind of nice. We just kind of seem to be going on the extremes, you know, which is in essence what this tale is all about. Right. We have one city state that's shaped around this magic and then another city state that is bandit entirely. Yeah, it's very, very interesting to say mm -hmm. the least. So, yeah, let's get into the recap and then start the discussion. Let's do it. The killing moon begins as the sun sets. We follow Ahiru, a gatherer for the city-state of Gujare, as he goes about his nightly duties. His job is to help shape the dreams of the citizens of the city and to help dreamers navigate Ina Karek, the dream world. He is able to harvest the magic of the sleeping mind and use it to heal and soothe, and also to kill those judged corrupt. During a routine gathering, the soul of Ahiru's subject is torn apart in the dream realm doomed to forever haunt a nightmarish land of dreamy chaos. Before the man dies, he gives a hero a cryptic message about the brotherhood he serves. As he leaves the residence, a hero spots a dark shape on the rooftop of the city streets. A hero is traumatized by the events and grows wary of performing the gathering, which provides him with the dream magic he is addicted to and needs to survive. A series of mysterious and horrific murders begin to be uncovered throughout the city as Sunandi, an ambassador from the neighboring city-state of Kisua, navigates the inner circle of the Prince of Gujare. 
it becomes clear the murders are being committed by a monster possessing abilities that are a twisted perversion of a gatherer's own. Once thought to be merely a myth, a reaper has come to Gajare. Sunandi is imprisoned by the prince along with one of his generals, and Ahiru and Najiri are ordered to gather her dream blood, essentially a call for assassination. Sunandi manages to convince the pair that the Hatawa is compromised. As Ahiru and Najiri investigate, they begin to find threads linking the monster's appearance to high-ranking members of the priesthood and perhaps to the prince himself. Afraid for their lives, Ahiru, Najiri, and Sunandi flee the city. Though desperate for dream blood, Ahiru manages to stave off killing anyone while traveling, which will turn him into a reaper, a gatherer that has lost control. They make it to Kisua and warn the leadership that the prince is out of control and bent on war. They succeed in getting the Kisuan army prepared to defend the city. Ahiru and Najiri return to Gujare and track down the prince. They find him doing research on dark magics and creating reapers, hoping to find a way to kill in mass at a great distance. Ahiru manages to save the day by slaying the prince, and then gives up his own life before he becomes the monster he was trying to stop. This alleviates the tension and prevents war between the two city-states. One of the prince's eldest sons manages to escape the city after his father's fall. The book ends with Najiri accepted into the priesthood, determined to help bring reform and guide the change needed for the next generation of gatherers. All right, lots to work with here with a pretty, just like I said before, straightforward story. I mean, uh, almost straightforward, I think, to maybe to a fault. Where, to a fault, for sure. Where I definitely no was twists. like, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, the prince no. definitely, He's yep, the that bad sounds guy. like... I mean, were you I totally thought it was him the whole time? Yeah, because like as soon as he there's like a part where there, there's like a there's a, a a festival of sorts on like the shortest day of the year being celebrated uh, or maybe not even really celebrated. I like the tone around that festival. Like it seemed kind of like ominous in a way for a some people. Solemn, but yeah. Like, yeah, some people were really into it, but some people weren't. Um, but then Najiri had like turns around and this this guy, this random guy is like talking to him and uh, <laughs> it turns out to be the prince. But the, the prince is being kind of weird. And then yeah he's all like disguised yeah it's it's <laughs> like as soon as i saw the prince kind of like interacting with people i was like oh i don't really oh. know about this guy i mean we he's a greaseball yeah this seems like uh it's probably probably that guy so yeah anybody who continuously brags about his the two days he can keep his 256 wives a please is like probably a you know behind closed doors not a great guy that's what kind of makes me feel like this was kind of a prologue kind of yeah. thing because i don't know if we were really supposed to be surprised that it was the prince i think that uh nijiri and Ehru, Ehru were supposed to be surprised and we were like watching them kind of come to these revelations about this this brotherhood that they were a part of and this really important thing in nijiri's life especially being raised in a um in a caste of this society that is not really nobles is not nobody really thinks much of him so He's very attached to all of this. He's very attached to a hero. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that they would be kind of shaken up about all this. But like me as the reader, I was kind of just following along like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. that Same. You know. It felt like a kind of a plotting, a very thorough plotting uh, layout of the groundwork for hopefully a thorough shaking of the snow globe, which I hope to see next book. Because this one was just kind of like, cool, now I get the world. I know some history. I know there's a time skip between this book and the next. So I, I don't know like exactly. Years. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get something with the prince's son who escaped, you know, he's going to come back in a big way. I'm sure. 
did we ever find out what happened to all the other sons? Did they kill them all? Uh, I don't know. I don't like, why is that think, one? I think that one's the, like the really important one, like okay. right next in line. And there's a part where the general uh, Neus, I think, um, notices that the kid is like already pretty formidable. You know, um, he's kind of yeah. got his eye on him. That was a really cool scene um, when the general kind of showed up. And I thought they were just going to have like a run of the mill, you know, intrigue type conversation. But then, you know, Sundandi is uh, imprisoned and the general is kind of like, oh, my God, this is when I die. Ah, damn it. <laughs> like, this is this is all I thought that was really interesting. The prince definitely. Like, I don't know. What do you think about his whole plot? I mean, was it really as straightforward as he just wanted yeah he wanted to, to live forever and to make the ultimate weapon like reaper gun that can destroy souls at, at at a distance and like could like wipe out the neighboring city state so he could just expand his control and power and i think it's had something to do with living forever like his bloodline is especially long-lived but i think he was trying to like live forever sort of thing and it was just it was very like uninspired motivation for a bad guy just like he wants power and to live forever. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess it makes sense if you if you have this sort of uh, power at your disposal that at some point it would become corrupt. Uh, I did think it, yeah. it was, there was a nice, um, very tasty irony in that, in the sense that you know Gajare is uh, very uh, clean. You know what I mean? I think that that's like a good. It's like they're very. Uh, there's no corruption. Proper. There's no crime. Yes. There's no. There's no anything. It's like this squeaky clean society. They but don't even then, have doors. Yeah, but I mean, out of that, sometimes you are you are liable to get a, a big bounce back. You know what I right, mean? I mean the naivet naivety. I always say this oh word wrong. God. I said it so wrong. So naivety. Yeah. Is that right? Naivety? Is that right? Oh, uh, God, I crack up every time you do that. I know, I know. So, so I'll get it eventually. Naivety of the whole city is kind of abused. I mean, especially Ahiru, right? Because he's like so dogmatically following his religion and uh, the ways of the gatherer that he is really able to be manipulated by. Well, he's like the best the one. He's the best one. He's he's the prince's brother, which I thought yeah. was super interesting. And that the only actually reason, was a cool twist. Yeah, because the only reason that Ahiru is even still alive is because he's in the Hetawa. Because the prince killed all of his other brothers. Just casually should have been a red flag anyway, because he brought it up. And I, like as soon as the prince was like super well, early, you know, sometimes you just gotta like murder everyone in your family to get ahead. Yeah, and I was competition. Like, oh, I feel like you're probably gonna do bath. that again. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like you're probably gonna do something. Just as bad, if not worse, at some point. Like I said, I feel like the the protect the antagonist was was rather uninspired. But I think that you really nailed it when you said this kind of is the prologue for the next book because I've heard really good things about it and it kind of gets a little more exciting. So I think we just got a very thorough shakedown of this world, the political powers at play, and some of the magic that can be brought to bear and and the corruption of said magic. What did you think about? their whole religion did you think the magic system was flushed out well because i've read a lot of things it was like it was so good and it was i don't know there's some me mechanics that i question mm, i mean uh i i never stopped thinking it was interesting for sure yeah it was uh, I, unique. Don't, I don't know that it was fleshed out super well but i don't know if it necessarily like really needed to be for the story i think that you just really needed to understand that dream blood is really important this essence is really important it can be abused um i don't think that there's any there there weren't any um like mechanics of the actual story that like 
demanded us to know like thoroughly how it's utilized you know what i mean the, on, the only one that got me was right at the beginning which is a major turning point in hero's character where he fails yeah, like to reap the souls chapter. properly yeah. but he just kind of like fumbles it and then the yeah. soul is like torn to threads and lost forever and it was like how like what went wrong did he just like miss the ball when he was juggling i didn't quite get it i know that's a funny thing about magic systems too is that um, i feel like it really comes down to personal preference just how much you really want to nerd out about stuff because mm -hmm. for me as the reader i'm very okay with just knowing the end result of something but at the same time i also don't like magic systems that are like you just think really hard about it and it totally. works or it doesn't so there's a very uh, fine line for me with this i felt like it was on the positive uh, side of that line okay. where it was interesting enough uh, in a lot of its aspects that i didn't really mind any vagaries but if there if it would have been more fleshed out that would have been awesome i mean i think it has something to do with like the like they use like a sort of like instrument or like knife you know that seems yeah, we, which like, we saw very few times yeah I, it would have really been important. cool to have a scene and this is just like my nerdiness and, and i'm I'm assuming yours as well yeah. it would have been cool if like when nigeria is like in the hetua like training and doing his like um tests and things like that if we had been given a little bit of like a nice nice little dump on like exactly how some of this stuff works uh totally just like this device just makes him sleep i think yeah. but it's also really powerful i don't know i did a little research into it and apparently the magic system is kind of based on freudian dream theory which is like dreams are an expression of your subconscious like your deepest wishes and desires that sort of yeah. thing um, which definitely pans out in this because like the gatherer would kind of lead the dreamer into their own uh, deepest desires and wishes. And, and then there was even a sect of them that provided pleasure. Like you could go to them and they would pay for you to have a good time in your dreams. Uh, I have a question for you. Sure. That's, that's not, it's related to dreams, but it's not so much related to this book. But it's kind of, Excellent. but I, I wanted to ask you about it. Okay, so I don't know if anybody that's listening or if you, Chad, have ever read uh, Chuck Klosterman. He's one of my favorite writers. I, I love him. Uh, he writes mostly nonfiction stuff. It's like pop culture uh, critiques and um, discussions and things like that. But he also has some of his own fiction books. But he has uh, this list of 23 questions that he likes to ask people that he's just met to kind of gauge what kind of person they are. Okay, you know? I picked up and, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs one time okay, and read yeah. like, a chapter He's of an Barnes awesome writer, <laughs> uh, he, but this is a, one of the questions, and, it, and this book made me think of it. Uh, so the question is, at long last, somebody invents the Dream VCR. This machine allows you to tape an entire evening's worth of your own dreams, Ooh. which you can then watch at your leisure. However... The inventor of the Dream VCR will only let you will only allow you to use this device if you agree to a strange caveat. When you watch your dreams, you must also do so with your family and your closest friends in the same room. They get to watch your dreams along with you. And if you don't agree to this, you can't use the Dream VCR. Would you still use the Dream VCR? Even with the caveat, I don't think like alone, I don't need to see my dreams. <laughs> yeah, like they're not... existing, they're gonna be confusing. I'm gonna be like, wow, I did idiotic things. I'm gonna have like a weird opinion of myself. I don't need to formulate any basis of my opinion of the world or myself based off of like super like the definition of non-reality, you know? Yeah. I mean it's it's a really interesting I mean, because I've definitely had dreams before where I've woken up and I've been like, I I wish I could figure out what that was i mean i i got like a good feeling from it but like most like 
it, the majority of my dreams are like anxiety dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'd be like, why can't he run better? He's <laughs> like running slow, slow. And so doing it by myself, I feel like would be its own thing. But then doing it with family and friends, like, no, nah, I don't want it. They, they see enough of me. And you get way too over analytical. You'd be like, look, there's like meeting. It'd be like reading Lord of the Flies in high school. It'd be like, what does this mean? What does that yeah, mean? It's maybe. like, man, sometimes maybe your brain was just firing some synapses to try to, you know, decompose after a long day. Well, would you not? I don't uh, think I. I don't think to, I would. I think. Um, also, I think I was a VCR. <laughs> I know, right? I think, this was, I think this was written quite a while ago, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely endlessly curious about it, but at the same time, um, I don't know. Maybe dreams really are just uh, your your brain kind of just clearing out some clutter and doing like kind of like a defrag kind of thing. And I don't. I don't know. But I've also heard theories that like that's actually. You, it really is you like dipping into an alternate reality, like version Going into of the yourself. Dimension, yeah, and DMT. Like, and like you really are like it. You are actually consciously living through a different experience, and those events are happening in a sort of real time, uh, in an observable real time. But your consciousness, your like kind of latent, like sleeping consciousness, is still on. You know, it's still active in a, in a certain sense and kind of like tethering you also to like this one so it's like distorted and weird and but i mean that is a pretty spacey way to look at dreams but um i mean the science of dreaming and everything seems to be like really out to lunch for the most part like most people don't really seem to know what the hell is going on so i think like nk jemison taking these ideas and then kind of applying it in a more real world sense to how a society functions that's that's enough for me as far as like the magic system i mean she already took that idea and ran with it and you know if it's not super duper specific it's already interesting enough that I, it'll carry me through a lot of the book but yeah i totally it'd be really cool. wanted to know like yeah if it's gonna rip it's, someone's soul to pieces and leave like, them what's stranded going on forever. yeah he even said he was like yeah if there's enough of it left to even like be able to wander in the nightmare land forever i was like oh, i hope not poor guy i did really like however when he was it was a really awesome visual when he was in the dreams and i kind of wish we got more of that because it would we get cool statements and sentences like with the flick of his mind he softened the sand grains around his attacker making it more comfortable you know it's just like very cool you know you kind of see this flickering ever-changing like dreamscape that he can control and manipulate with his mind which was a really cool uh visual for sure yeah and i feel like it kind of took a back seat to the plot and other aspects of the world building and what the characters were thinking we only went into the dream space uh one time at the beginning yeah of the book. so I, and i thought i was hoping to have some adventures it, in there yeah like i thought while reading it, it would actually have a lot more to do with that state but i guess maybe jemison just didn't really see a way to like incorporate it other than that beginning uh, yeah i was i was hoping we'd get like a midnight pathway sort of thing like we got in winter night you know, where we that went down awesome. the pathway of, yeah. of midnights, oh, you know, man, I thought I we were going to get like a dream, like Reaper hunt or something where you'd hop from person's dreams to the next person's dreams, like hunting for this Reaper who's going out, just like corrupting people's dreams and stealing their, their dream blood uh, hmm. juice. That would have been so, cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so tell me what your thoughts are about their whole magic cast as a, as a whole, you know, obviously they've like religionized it for lack of a better term. And it's, they they say it's a necessary thing that they do, but it also like kind of has corruption and abuse built 
into the magic system because it's like highly addictive. They use it too much. They need it to live. They're euphoric. You know, it makes killing people collecting and collecting their dream blood uh, a very pleasurable experience, which like obviously or at least, red at flags. least it makes it makes not doing it a painful experience. Right, right. right. So, uh, but I mean, when they the, filled up with, you know, as long as he made the soul uh, go peacefully, I think, then they would like, get that in. But when the one guy who was ripped, he was like left with his like madness <laughs> juice. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of just a, a good example of um, things work out until they don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, it's good as, as you know, and uh, it's changed my view on um, certain like utopias or like what I would consider a utopia or what different authors have considered utopias. I'm kind of, I don't really like the idea of that. Uh, right. Do you think paper, it was peaceful it looks, from fear? I don't know. City? And if it was, that's not great. That's not a good system. This <laughs> that's is, not it's, great. It's eventually not going to work out the, the intention. Right. I mean, when I was reading it and it's like, well, you know, we've been, we've been able to completely eradicate crime and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's good. But like, how are you doing it? You know, right. like what is what is the mechanism where you're I mean, because if you have a society where, you know, everybody is chained to a couch and being fed through a tube, then, yeah, I mean, you're not like, going to have no any crime. crime. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously, you know, but like, how is that happening exactly? Right. You know, like, what's what systems are in place that are maintaining that? And are those systems corruptible? And most of the time in every story I've ever read and, and in most societies Super I've read about, yes. yeah, yeah. It's a big giant. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, that, we, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't really get to see too much into the, like does Hunanji, I think was the name of the like moon mother. Hananji, does she, yeah, yeah. Hananji, something like that. Does she use like anyone who has having thoughts of crime? Does she like up oh, gathered? And like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I got that sense, but for it, some reason they have no crime. I mean, it really brings up the question, like, you know, which which was addressed even in like inheritance. It gets addressed all the time. Um, but it's like, you know, when you've got a sort of police force, if you want to call it that in this book, like who is policing the police? You know, like right, who, who right. is looking for the corruption? Where are the checks and balances here? You know, and it's just a matter of time, I feel like, before a, a prince comes up and is like, well, I mean. While everybody's kind of chilling, I'm gonna time go to ahead reap. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this book is a very good look at at those questions. And um, I mean, Jemison, much like she did with uh, the Broken Earth trilogy, it's like some pretty heavy points here and some some topics you can really dig into while also telling a pretty engaging story. Um, like I said, the only thing I wasn't super engaged with was the characters. I mean, yeah. I just. I felt like um, the revelation that this brotherhood, you know, the foundation of their entire way of living is very corrupted. It just felt like it kind of bounced off of Najiri and he was more focused on just kind of following uh, a hero oh. everywhere. Najiri didn't become a gatherer because he was into gathering. He was into a hero. Maybe we should talk about that. Maybe we should talk about that. Maybe we should address the uh, the underage elephant in the room oh here. <laughs> was like treating him like you're my little brother or like a son sort of thing and Najiri was like I'm super in love with you and it was like a little I was little not awkward. a big fan of this relationship uh, I think I know what Jemison was going for here but it was just creepy that's yeah. Najiri is like 15 or 16 and uh, Ahiru is like definitely in his 40s Pretty old, like, yeah it, 40s. it was weird it's not super heavy-handed or anything like they never get physical with each other or anything like nigeria like it's more just a motivational him. force for yeah. nigeria um and i think 
you know, you could chalk it up to a certain kind of like hazy confusion on Najiri's part being so young, but it's kind of implied that a hero understands and to a certain extent reciprocates those feelings. So it's it's just odd. Like the whole the the the, yeah. the vibe is the vibe is weird with that one. The vibe was weird. Yeah, and I'm not sure why every like celebrated ancient elite sect decides that it's a solid plan to have their practitioners be celibate like that can't go wrong <laughs> we don't like have a bunch of like idea. angsty magic yeah. powerful like like i'm just gonna take over the world you know yeah totally i mean that's um, not a recipe for reapers well i don't know though the prince definitely wasn't celibate and he <laughs> that's true and to he do reaped. that so yeah he reaped he reaped his ass off but yeah i don't know i think um it was a good motivation, I guess, for Najiri. It was it was interesting that he was so kind of all over the place, but I think him being kind of all over the place just I didn't feel very like close to the character and I didn't Same. really I just didn't really care about how they felt about anything cuz they didn't really seem to care that much about how they felt about anything. And it was just Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the only part of the book that I felt kind of lukewarm on cuz the yeah, world like... building, the 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 magic system, the the setting the plot even though i've kind of seen the plot the plot was great uh mm -hmm. this it was just like the characters i was just it felt pretty distant from them I, I hope that in the next book we get to kind of really dig in a little bit more you know same D tell me your thoughts about sunandi because i kind of felt like her character or her arc if you could even call it that could have been removed entirely from the story and it, story and it wouldn't have mm -hmm. changed like anything i never really felt that way with sunandi i mean uh, um again i mean just more would have been cool yeah uh, she, like she seemed like a really promising character in the in the first chapter she was in with the prince i thought there was some really cool dialogue going on there and there was i was very curious in what was going on i don't know i, I feel like she's pretty important in the sense that she kind of rounds out uh the story being from a different city state and being from a different area and kind of having a, a unique view on all of this stuff and they have a place to go because of her uh she she's not if it wasn't for her it would just be Najiri and and Nahiru, part of the Hetua against the prince. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would have right. been and it would have felt a little too blocky, you know. Totally. And they did have that kind of cool like moral battle with with between Sunandi and Ahiru and Najiri where they're like where she's like is you know is morality a universal thing since Ahiru and Najiri believe that they're doing good while she's like yeah you guys are just like vultures like murdering out there, you know. So there was like some cultural okay, yeah. Her her existence did provide the vehicle for some cool like conversations there i guess i think she was pretty important um i thought honestly she didn't do much no but i mean she was definitely the more in i mean she was more interesting than a hero for sure yeah in my and like, and the jury uh, was kind of interesting kind of mm, interesting mm. Um, to you know sometimes uh I, again like Najiri's first chapter uh training and going through this like testing process and stuff i was so into it the first uh, even, chapters were great yeah and then it kind of it kind of like, i feel like like a hero and, and Najiri kind of like blended into one character almost. Yeah. I don't know. It was, uh, it was odd. Yeah. And I, I felt like the ending, um, I liked the ending, but it was very like abrupt. Um, it was, a, it was anticlimactic, nice, but it was poetic in a sense too. Yeah. Like I said, just a little uninspired. It was like, okay, a hero sacrifices himself before he becomes the thing that he was afraid when he was chasing the whole book but i didn't really get that either like okay so he's afraid to do any more gathering so he's just not gonna do it and then die and like potentially become a reaper and then have to sacrifice himself it's like maybe just like get some dream juice a little bit he's the best one ever and then he just like fails one time and loses all ability to do it and then sets himself on a path of downward spiral because he can't produce his own dream blood 
I don't know. It kind of makes sense that he'd be that traumatized by it if it's something I that guess. like it really seemed to rattle him. I mean, it was yeah, pretty but clear. People can donate their nightmares and their like daydreams and stuff to this other sect that can heal. It's like why couldn't like Najiri be like, here, let me. Do- oh, he doesn't dream. Someone else, you know, donate some dream to him. <laughs> I don't Najiri know. Would it definitely like there should be it. mechanisms for getting him juiced up without him potentially um, reaping out. You know. I, don't know. I mean, it, it it felt like to me when I was reading it, like he had to be the one that did it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was, was the only little... one that would have been able to. I mean, the jury's not really like trained up enough, and nobody else was really like believed what was going on. Okay, how many gatherers are there? Because I thought there was a lot, and then I kind of thought there was only two, and now I'm confused. Um, so there's like, uh, there's like Revene. So it seems like there's two other, like, um, for lack of a better word, like apprentices, like on the same level as Najiri, that are like his okay. friends, but not really. Uh, and then there seems to be kind of like these more like uh studied like higher up gatherers okay because they're just like there was a conversation between like the high priest at one point when um a hero goes awol at first and they send najiri to go track him down uh that they're like man if a hero goes away and dies and we just have like one really inexperienced gatherer and it was like wait i thought there was like a bunch of them but i guess there's pretty few pretty scarce yeah, uh, i mean I, I don't think that it doesn't seem like it's a it's a thing that a lot of people are able to do and a hero being the best one i can see how it would kind of like set everybody like in the hetua kind of like whoa whoa this is this is bad like this is yeah. the only it'd be like uh you know <laughs> sully from monsters inc not being able to scare people anymore you know? like, <laughs> yeah he lost his yeah, touch the last one okay <laughs> <laughs> that's the last one no no it shall not be I wanted. I would like to see more of what part the gatherers play in their society because it seems like there's not very many of them. They collect the souls of the damned or whatever. They'll they'll pass on um, their goddess's judgment. But I didn't. I don't. I don't really know what part it has in their day to day life. Like it seems like it was a lot and and a core feature of their entire society. But I don't really know like what they're doing like yeah they can heal and soothe once with the collected dream blood but that was really the other group of them um yeah uh, i think that i don't really know i mean it 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 stands to reason that you know a city with quite a few people in it um you if you're trying to keep it basically 100 percent crime and corruption free uh these gatherers would be working overtime you know okay so you think they were like taking out criminals uh or it's corruption corruption okay um yeah, so I, I mean, obviously, those could be considered the same thing, but I don't think sure. Like, it seems like there's not, there isn't crime because you know, it's pretty clearly understood. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what's what's going on here, you know? And they specifically uh, didn't have doors, so the gatherers could come in and take your dream self if you uh, were deemed worthy. It'd be like so one... wild to be dreaming, and then <laughs> like some guy comes in, and pops just like, in. All hey. right, it's time to go. Time has come. <laughs> yeah, that whole visualization of in the dreams, their control, control of the dream, him like detaching from his own self to drop into the other person's dream. All of that was like very cool visualization. I just I really hope during this next book that we see kind of a a lot more use of the awesomeness that we got laid out for us in this book. Like I feel like all the ingredients are here for a really tasty, zesty, delicious meal. We just we just got the ingredients really well explained to us this book. Yeah, I'm kind of curious on like what you think is going to happen in the next one, um, because like the way that this ended, it seemed like everything was pretty much all right, and they were just looking to kind of reform things. But then on the back of the book, or at least somewhere I read, it seems like there's quite a big time jump 
into the next one. So, like, what do you think is going on? Okay, I think the prince's um, runaway son, who's been gathering power, is going to continue gathering his power, and he's going to return to the city full-bodied and able to wield some like massive dream power, maybe even having perfected his father's like Reaper evil magic or something. Najiri is going to have a love interest in this next book, I think, who's going to be some like person from Kisua who's super anti-dreaming. But he kind of like huh. through getting with, with Najiri, he like shows him that like it's not our extreme of no dreams and it's not your extreme of all dreams that it's some path in the middle is the best way. And they're also going to be into each other. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually had the I had an idea that they were kind of like maybe overcorrecting and that might be where a lot of the conflict comes from in the next. Yeah. Part. I could be totally wrong about that, but it seems like a society that's this used to a certain way of doing things. Uh, if it was found out that there was a lot of corruption, there'd be a lot of blowback, honestly. Like, there, it'd be really difficult to recover from that, even though, even if you, as a, as a society, agreed that this is the best route forward, like, there's a lot of different things that need to happen now. That, totally. That's what really got me excited for the next book, is the note that we left off on on this one. It's weird. I've never been more excited, actually, now that I think about it, to read the sequel when the first one had been buttoned up so well. Yeah, because you know I mean? it was very like, complete. Yeah, I mean, there was, some, you know, like the guy... The, we have an escaped prince. prince. That's, yeah, exactly. that's the only but, loose end, really. Um, but I wonder how, like, Kisua is going to react to this uh, or take control of it, even. Right. Because uh, it seemed like they're really directly involved to a certain extent. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this book, the next one seems to have uh, more potential for more conflict. And yeah. this one seemed like more of just kind of like a cataloging and introduction to the world. So totally. I'm excited because like this is a duology. So maybe the structure is just something that we're not like super used to seeing all the time in fantasy series, uh, because, you know, typically, at least in a trilogy, you have like a pretty like banger first book. Yeah. Uh, which but and, and then like obviously the second book can sometimes be a little bit of a letdown depending on the series and depending on what's going on. Right. But I think we just the got duology, the second know. book in this book maybe you know? yeah maybe the first yeah. part of this book was the first book <laughs> like the second part <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah this is gonna definitely i'm interested to see what happens in this next book it's only like another like 80 pages longer too yeah and a i little think bit they, longer i think she released them very quick in um t the timeline of, of our world <laughs> uh <laughs> with each other like i think, I think they were like a month or two separate or something uh i think that she was releasing these while she was releasing the broken earth books Oh, really? Franking stuff out. So I'm going to ask one more question, uh, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, and then probably go read the second book and get on this. I'm not going to ask you if you, if you think it's justifiable, because it's like a, it's a weird question. I think we both have similar answers to it, but would you, would you want to live in a society that was basically crime-free, but corrupt at its core? So like, the, I, guess, I guess a better way to put it is like effectively... You are basically never in danger and all of your needs are met. But you knew, kind of like with um, that, that short story we read, um, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omalas, you know what I mean? Like, but, but some part of you knew that there was quite a bit of corruption and maybe uh, even like exploitation to a certain extent. Um, but everybody was fine. You know what I mean? Like for the most part, like 99% of the population was like totally, had all their needs met and everybody was cool. Like, is that the kind of society that you think that like morally you could be a part of? No, simply because, I mean, 
you know, like the status quo was pretty all right. It's not like they had a ton of freedoms reduced. They weren't living, you know, super um, with. But if they stepped out of line, you know, they were going to get harvested pretty quick. So it was like, I don't know. I don't want to live in a society that is so controlling my future path that I have to constantly walk on eggshells thinking that I'm going to have yeah. uh, be murdered in my sleep and have the rest <laughs> of the city be totally okay with it. In fact, it'll be an honor, you know? So it just, I don't know. I, I tend to gravitate towards more like freedom, even though that may bring about more. Crime. It's really interesting because yeah, it's like, it's like you can be altruistic to, to a fault almost like, or like right. altruistic to a point, but then it's like where I feel like the context of, of, what everybody's like day to day is and like how much how much better how much of an improvement it would be over another different kind of a potential society you know what i mean it's a really deep like difficult question to answer and that's that's why when we uh, when we made an episode for the ones who walk away from omelas we ended up deleting it because we (laughs) we don't know anything about this really it's a super tough question to answer because like on its surface obviously if everybody seems like they're being taken care of Right. That's and everyone good. That's a good agrees. Thing. Yeah. They have the same that's... religion. So should there be a separation of church and state? It's like, yes, it's very dogmatic and strict, but everyone agrees that it should be so. It's so like it's like working. You know? But I mean, you know, any society that just is a general statement that leans more toward toy that leans more towards, you know, going with the flow and accepting the status quo and rejects any like new ideas. Right. So yeah. extremely is yeah. one that is just kind of inherently um in its core stunted it's never going to grow past a certain point because yeah. it's dogmatic and, like, and uh, like authoritarianism no matter how much it's working will always work against progress you know yes. what i mean like or at least in my opinion it will i mean like because maintaining the context of when that authority came into power is super important so ah yeah but, hey, I mean, but you? it is i don't know because i mean obviously i know the answer to it i feel like uh but you know, like this idea of like everybody in a society having their needs met and everything, mm-hmm. or at least uh, the vast, vast majority, right? right. At the expense, it, uh, I don't know, like it, like it yeah. looks okay, but like... And like, this is worry. a weird example, but if we change it just a little bit to be like, let's say everybody's Christian. Like, would you be okay with living in like a Christian controlled world where if you step out of line, it's like death, but everybody, you already believe in everything that that religion stands for and so it's like yeah you'd go with it but like should you no because uh... i i feel like the that rigidity would cancel out the reason why it was a decent i agree system. you know what i mean like that totally the, totally. the fact the, the the mere fact that you wouldn't be able to stray away from it you know what i mean and i feel like uh even in, in this book there's like this sense uh, there's something about like the the especially during that festival there was like this weird feeling that i was getting that like not everybody was really happy with this situation right ominous was the right word you said it earlier it was ominous also i looked up the differences between release dates and it was um may 2012 for the killing moon and then june 7th so a month later for the shadowed sun oh geez so she's just this this was probably just one big book and the publisher whipped it out guys (laughs) cut that right in half (laughs) all right i think that's going to do it for us today everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode we've got another one coming next week for the shadowed sun this is great yeah i mean like like i said uh, the the story was a little bit predictable and i felt a little distant from the characters but the world building the um the magic system like the really unique ideas and the questions that i was able to ask myself and ask chad of course were more than made up for any like distance or uh hollowness i might have felt at totally point. and with the exception of possibly nigiri 
I don't think these are the characters we're meant to latch on to because everyone like died and like was used. I think they're used up and moved on with the exception of Najiri. We'll get some more of him next book, but I think that we're going to be introduced to some, some real uh, hopefully latch onable characters. uh, Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how different, if it is different, how different the next book is from this and seeing kind of like looking at this duology as a whole, for sure. I've never been so like un semi like stoked and excited not to say it was bad it was just didn't get me get, didn't get my goat uh going didn't get my gears turning but yet i'm so looking forward to reading this next book and seeing where the story goes because say one thing for jemison she can put words together oh yeah absolutely everybody thank you so much for listening hope you have an awesome rest of your day and of course happy reading bye everybody